Welcome to What Do You Think? I'm Al. And I'm C. And on this episode, we are reviewing the 1970s classic. (laughs) You know what I realized? There's so many episodes where you say something that... You say something, and then I laugh that exact same way. So, I don't know what that says about me, but yes, the 1970s classic. Starring, starring... uh, Famous uh, new Hollywood actor, Paul Giamatti. That movie you either watch in film school or with your dad, no in between. Yes. uh, The introduction of famed uh, Hollywood A-lister Dominic Sesta. Okay. And the the Oscar-reeling role of uh, Divine Rudolph Joy. Is that her name? Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, her yes. Oscar-winning role that she won back in the Oscars of 1976. Yes, yeah. Uh, the great, uh, directed by the great Hal Ashby, written by the guys who wrote Love Story. We're okay. talking about... Okay, this is ta- getting offensive. <laughs> <laughs> From the producer of Don't Look Now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, no, folks, we're, we're mm. talking about The Holdovers, the new movie by Alexander Payne. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. This little extended joke we're doing about, like, this was a movie that came out in the 70s. It's we, super niche, super cinephile of us to do it. Yeah, but listen, yeah. We're, we, we, do it, we, we do it with admiration because, uh, let me just say, um... I, I think the most people had heard about this movie when it started production was that, like, oh, Paul Giamatti and Alexander Payne are teaming up again. That was, like, all that was said about this project that ended up being The Holdovers. Mm-hmm. And uh, people were excited. They were, like, because uh, one of Paul Giamatti's greatest roles, his one of his most famous, if not his most famous role, was his leading role in uh, Sideways, I believe is the movie called, right? Yes, it is. It's, and... Uh, yeah, sorry. I'll get into Sideways in a minute. But first, yes, you are correct. It is one of his most famous roles. It's definitely the role that finally put... You know what it did? It kind of like with J.K. Simmons, how Whiplash like made people understand that he's a great actor. That's what uh, Sideways did for Paul Giamatti. He was around for a long time. Yeah, he was like that character actor that people were always like, oh, he's, he's, he's good and stuff. Yeah, and then he was in Sideways and people were like, oh, okay. Well, wasn't... Did, what came out first, Sideways or, or um, um, what was it called, uh, American Splendor? Which came out first? I thought it was Sideways, but watch me be wrong. Um, let, let me let me take a look. Wait, American Splendor? That's the comic book one. Yeah, that's the comic book one. Okay, American Splendor did come out first, yes, but that didn't get quite as much buzz as. As because uh, it was it was an you got to remember American Splendor was an HBO movie. That was so, an HBO like, movie. Yes, it was. Are, are you sure? I'm pretty sure. I, oh wow! I they I, produced I, it. Oh okay. It, it may it, granted there's every once in a while you get an HBO related a thing made by HBO but that ends up on not HBO. Like the most famous example is the TV show Everybody Loves Raymond. HBO literally made it, but it wasn't on HBO. Okay. Okay. So that could it could have been the case where HBO made and was responsible for it, but maybe it went to theaters or something. Mm-hmm. No, no, that makes sense. I mean, so listen, Paul Giamatti, uh, like he basically broke out in, I believe, the early 90s with uh, 
with that uh that like biopic of howard stern private parts he played uh, yeah that was like his breakout role in 97 he played uh kenny um and that that's he paul giamani still says like for like most non-cinema people that's still the role that everyone like associates him with yeah or like with gen xers i should say sure um you know you know so then he was in uh my best friend's wedding he had like one little cameo there uh he was in saving private ryan uh he was uh the i guess the second or like the the supporting role bob zamuda in man on the moon um and then you know it was pretty much like oh it's this comedy guy who's this comedic actor he's funny he was um, he, very much pigeonholed as kind of this like irritated dweeb almost. Yeah, pretty much this irritated dweeb. Uh, he oh by the way, uh, American Splendor came out first. Came out okay. Two thousand three. Okay. Sideways came out two thousand four. Oh, it was uh, back to back. Okay. Yeah, uh, and for most millennials, they know him as the villain Marty Wolf in Big Fat Liar. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh my God. I blanked out on that when he was yeah. covered in that. See, I'll still. Every millennial remembers when he gets covered in that blue paint. Yeah, like, yeah. That, that's and, and like he'll that. say, like, Gen Xers will be like, "Oh, uh, private parts," but uh, millennials will be like, "Oh my God, big fat liar." Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know he was in Paycheck, which I think had Ben Affleck and was uh, John Woo. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, the one where they erased the guy's memory. I forgot about that. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But American Splendor was like his first serious leading role. He played a famed underground comic book writer, uh, Harvey Picard. And then next year was really when when he was when he blew up playing Miles in Sideways. You know, this this Alexander Payne comedy about uh, wine aficionados in wine country in California. Uh, That was kind of fantastic. Yeah, uh, he was never was he? He was never nominated. No, here's what's here, I, sorry, I don't mean to jump on your words here, but he was not nominated. But it was considered such a snub that he wasn't nominated. That the next year he does that tiny role in Cinderella Man, and he gets nominated for an Oscar for it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it came and out like that every, next year. Everyone knew why he got the nomination. They're like, the Academy was like, we fucked up and didn't nominate him. Exactly. So he gets nominated for this little, little, like he has just like His one, only Oscar nom. It's Yes, it's at the moment, you know, it's his only Oscar nomination was for Cinderella Man. And it it was, it's not the smallest role to get an Oscar nomination, but it's one of, because in only like, I think two scenes, really, it's very small role. And they gave it to him to be like, here you go. We, we're sorry. But it was basically, it should have been for Sideways. And it was, it was genuinely a shock that he didn't get nominated for that. Yeah. So, but now he's fully doing like, uh, he's, this is like the mid-2000s. He's now, like, yeah, he's still doing some of his comedic character bits. But now he's doing dramatic stuff and he's really good at it. I mean, this is not a good movie. But everyone says that one of the few saving graces of lady in the water is paul giamani yes he um, actually is amazing in it i've got to give him, give him credit there he, and he played a great santa claus in fred claus which there is a sequel coming out as you told me yes that's now cool. now arguably his so his biggest like his most like critically acclaimed role outside of sideways uh, the one that got him a bunch of awards is that he plays John Adams in the HBO miniseries John Adams. Magnificently, uh, might I add. Magnificent. I, I recently watched that a couple years back. It, it really was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, 
it was uh directed by the guy uh what's his name tom hooper yes yeah, the tom... guy that did cats <laughs> yeah well well <laughs> oh tom... the mighty have fallen <laughs> well well here was the thing tom hooper does john adams and then he starts working on doing the king's speech and yes. now he's he was like one of the hottest directors of of, of like the early 2010s yeah. But his work in John Adams is kind of what set the stage for his short but acclaimed run as a as a in demand director during the early two thousands. It's Late fair to say John time. Adams is his best work, but you know. no, no, you're right. The King's Speech is the fine. King's Speech is fine. The King's Let, Speech beat the Social Network for Best Picture. Remember that? Yeah, but that that's fucked up. That's fucked yeah, up. Yeah, but, uh, fucked up. Anyways, um, uh, you know, then he does Lake Miz, and everyone's like, maybe this guy isn't that talented. And, you know, then he kind of bounces back with the Danish girl. But then that movie has like a bunch of politics surrounding it. Yeah. But then Cats really just kind of fucked him. But anyway, we're not talking about Tom Hooper. We're talking about no. Paul Giamatti. Uh, so av- after John Ham's, Paul Giamatti is like almost exclusively. He's still do he's still doing um, uh, comedic uh, comedic stuff. But mm. but now he's he, he's fr- he's established himself as like this guy is a damn good actor. Mm-hmm. And you'll be lucky to have him in your movie. He became that actor that, like, if he's in your movie, oh, then at least the stuff around him is going to be good. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like you're like, oh, he'll – he actually – so there was a teacher at, at the film school we went to where he said there are two kind of act, there are two kinds of actors who are talented. There's the talented actor who elevates the entire cast with him or them or her. And then there's the actor that makes sure that they don't look bad in the movie. And as much as I love Paul Giamatti, he's the second kind. Where he makes sure that he's going to be fucking good, even if everyone around him is not. I mean, the thing is, is that Paul, I would say, I would say, I mean, that's a fair assessment. But I would say that comes from the angle that Paul Giamatti is very much the epitome of a working actor. He just wants to work. You know, he just wants to work. He, he wants to elevate the cast around him, but, you know, if the thing that pops up is freaking Jungle Cruise, like... So be it. There, there's only so much you can do, right? There's only well, so like much... even... I remember people made fun... Before the holdovers came out, people made fun of him for doing a Verizon commercial. Oh, yeah, like, where... What? No, like, it was a series of Verizon commercials where he was yeah. playing a bunch of, like, fictional Histor- characters or... or yeah. Like, like Scrooge like his, and things yeah, like that. Or like historical characters, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, he also really jumped early on on the prestige TV train with Billions. You know, started oh, right. in 2016. He's like, you know, TV has good stuff and I'm going to be on it. And I've never watched Billions, but people say, tell me that he's very, very good in it. Opposite um, oh, uh, Damien Lewis, mm-hmm. uh, who is the lead slash anti-villain in that. But anyway, or anti-hero, I mean. But, you know, the thing was, was that, like, Paul Giamatti was in that niche of, like, a working actor who gives as good a performance as he can with what he's given. But, you know, he's not he hasn't been given that sideways American splendor, John Adams, uh, meaty role in a in while, a, in a while. Right. Um, and here comes Alexander Payne. Alexander mm-hmm. Payne, you know, he's this American director who. It's really hard to peg him like like he for well you know it's funny uh C and I when 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 we were talking about the holdovers the first thing I said was like 
Alexander Payne didn't direct this. Hal Ashby came back from the dead, and <laughs> Alexander Payne was like, hey, do you want to do this? And, you know, so people don't freak out and experiment on you. I just put my name on it. <laughs> um, and, you know, so th- I, I say it in jest, but honestly, when I look at Alexander Payne's filmography, I'm like, you know what? No, he is kind of in that niche that Hal Ashby was in. These not not like overt com- – I mean, they're comedic, right? But they're not like – not these broad comedies, these, these smart comedies, small-scale stories that are funny – uh, they have something to say. Uh, they're satirical. Many of them are satirical. Uh, oh, yeah. Th- th- kind of the best of, like, the small movie you would see in theaters. Th- th- this was, like, what New Hollywood was throughout the, 90s. the 70s. Well, the 70s. Oh, right? the 70s. Sorry. Yeah, yeah sorry. The 70s, You're right. right? You're right. He, it was like, if Scorsese wasn't doing these crazy, like, character piece dramas, Hal Ashby was doing these, like, small, intimate movies that had... That we're trying to say some like uh, the the last uh, detail, Harold and Maude, et cetera, et cetera. Shoot was, the moon. Shoot the moon. Um, the the one he did with Peter Sellers, where Peter Sellers was like a gardener who never who only ever watched television. Oh, I've I've never seen it, but what was that one called? Why that's like everyone's that? favorite movie, or that's always everyone's favorite Peter Sellers movie. Is it really? I haven't no, seen yeah, because it. because it's considered his best work. Being there, being there. Oh, being there. Okay. Yeah, um, but you know, and that's kind of Alexander Payne. I mean, let me just list off the stuff he's done, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners has seen at least a couple. Oh yeah. Uh, he blows up on the scene with uh, with Election. I th- I don't know if that's his first movie. His first movie is Citizen Ruth. I think it was called. Or oh, Citizen, Citizen Ruth with Laura Dern. Yes. Yeah. That was his. Br- that was his first movie. Okay, uh, so he—that's like his indie feature, right? Yeah, Ele- election is kind of more, more like commercial, it, more commercial, uh, very well received. It kind it's his of, mo- elections is most overt comedy. Yes, it's say. his most overt comedy. Uh, it kind of turns uh, Reese Witherspoon into a star. Uh, it or at least leads her on the path to becoming a star. Like there is no, there is no legally blonde without election. Oh, hundred um, percent. Uh, Matthew Broderick kind of shows a darker side of Matthew Broderick that people didn't realize that like it, it kind of elevated Ma- like Matthew Broderick throughout the 90s was kind of irrelevant. And then election in 99 brought him back. Then he does about Schmidt with Jack Nicholson. Uh, now this is like critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Nicholson, I do believe, gets an Oscar nom. And so does. um. Oh, my God. Uh Misery. Uh, oh, what's, <laughs> Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates, right? Which, that scene in the hot tub is fucking hilarious, but my yeah. God. And, and, and it basically, it also shows that Alexander Payne is like, I know how to get a performance out of my actors because like, this was not something that Jack Nicholson was known to do. about like sh- The character in About Schmidt, uh, Warren Schmidt, is very a very vulnerable guy who's not who doesn't have that anger that Jack Nicholson is known for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but so P- this so About Schmidt is Alexander Payne's kind of setting himself up as like I'm a, I'm a director who makes critically acclaimed films, and that's just like much more impressed upon with Sideways. Sideways, ironically, is I think his most critically acclaimed film. It's it also is. like his most commercially successful film. It's so funny. Thomas Hayden Church basically has a Hollywood career because of Sideways and what was the TV show he was on? Wings? 
Um, oh, yeah. He went from, like, doing sitcoms and wings to being, like, a, a, a character actor in Hollywood who gets regular work. I mean, for God's sakes. He, he, he became a Sandman three years later. Oh, and it, um, it really launched... Uh, <coughs> What's her name? The girl from the Divergent movies. It launched her career too. Um, Sideways? No. Oh no, shit! You're, you're sorry, about I'm, I'm jumping. Ahead. I'm it, thinking. Yeah, sorry. his next movie. The his Descendant. next movie. Sorry. Yeah, we'll start yeah, with Sideways. The, we'll get there. The Descendants. He doesn't do a movie for like years. seven years. He doesn't yeah. do a movie for seven years. Well, he did. He was. Uh, he did help write uh, two movies that people don't think about. Jurassic Park three, and uh, I, I now, now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Yeah. yeah, but he very much was like consulting. That's yeah. Really he, he was he, he was doing he was doing script doctoring work, but pretty yeah. much. Uh, but then he burst onto the scene with one of the most critically acclaimed films of 2011 with The Descendants. It basically pro- it's a it's a showcase that George Clooney is still an amazing actor and also very very funny. Uh, like you said, it kind of makes now like Shine Woodley. That's yeah. What like he did with Reese Witherspoon, now Shailene Woodley is going to be on the scene of, on the scene of, of Hollywood. You know, she mm-hmm. she eventually has her own career as kind of like a young Hollywood starlet, uh, and then doesn't waste any time. Two years later, Nebraska, which was really the the first film that I was blown away by him. Like like I realized who Alexander Payne was with the descendants. I was like, Oh yeah, this guy, he did a uh, sideways. And I was like, Oh, it's, it's fine. It's, it's a smart comedy, but the stuff he does with Nebraska just blew me away. Uh, again, it's, it's a very small, intimate film. Uh, he, he, like, I know this sounds really weird. He makes Will Forte have an amazing, like dramatic performance. Will Forte, most known as being one of the wackier people from SNL. Yeah. Bruce Stern. MacGruber. MacGruber, yeah, MacGruber. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Stern's performance got him an Oscar nom. June Squibb got her an Oscar nom. Yeah, got her an Oscar nom too. And everyone was like, oh, wow, Alexander Payne is – oh, Bob Odenkirk basically has a great little role on there. Stacey Keach. Uh, a lot of people had really good roles in that. Mm-hmm. Alexander Payne is setting himself up as – the great living American directors. Everyone like like people were saying his name with like, oh, who's who are good American directors? Well, he was Alex, in there. He was in. It was Alexander Payne, David Fincher, Quentin Tarantino, uh, Quentin Tarantino. People were like, this is this guy's an auteur. Uh Then that kind of came to a stop with his next feature. Uh, 2017's downsizing which is an interesting idea that's what's really sad it's an interesting concept uh basically matt damon decides to shrink himself it's a permanent process so if he goes through with this he's going to be little for the rest of his life he goes to live with uh with a community of shrunken people and you know there's something about there about classism and stuff uh this is the film that kind of Again, like he did with Shalene Woodley and Reese Witherspoon, this is the film that kind of introduces the world to Hong Chow. Hong Chow is, was Oscar nominated last year in uh, The Whale. She's been, she was in The Watchmen. She was in The Menu. Uh, by The Watchmen, I mean the, the TV show Watchmen. Uh, mm-hmm. she's, been, she's now worked with like uh, Wes Anderson. Uh, she, she's been in a bunch of prestige stuff. But really, truly, the the thing that kind of got her on the scene was uh, downsizing. So mm-hmm. for those Hong Chao fans out there, no, they are. She's 
she's now in that realm of like if she's in something you know it's gonna be good yeah uh, and she's good she she's the thing she's good in it that's what's yeah. interesting yeah but the movie itself like and this was like when matt damon was trying to be a serious actor again and it just mm-hmm. was not working yeah <laughs> like because he does this a lot around the same time he does uh, uh suburbicon oh right okay yeah. but yeah. anyway so now, now we're here. You know that was in what was sad. Also, what was sad about that, and the, one of the reasons why it took so long for Alexander Payne to make another movie again was because Downsizing was far and above the most expensive movie he had ever made by a lot. Oh yeah, and it just it didn't help. Oh yeah, oh yeah, totally. It was his most expensive film, and people were like, "Well, we don't know, Alexander. Can you?" Do you got that magic? Do you got that, uh, like, not even that Nebraska magic? Do you got that sideways magic, that election magic? And, yeah, it took uh, it took him, like, about six years to make a new movie. But here we are with The Holdovers. So, uh, see, how's about we watch the trailer for The Holdovers and see if, if Alexander Payne and Paul Giamatti was a winning combo. What do you say? Let's find out. Sir, I don't understand. That's glaringly apparent. I can't fail this class. Oh, don't sell yourself short, Mr. Coates. I truly believe that you can. Every year at Barton Academy, students, faculty, and staff depart the campus for a two-week winter break. But there are always an unfortunate few who have nowhere to go for the holidays. They're known as the holdovers. Mr. Hunnam. Hello, Mary. I had you guys stuck with babysitting duty this year. How'd you manage that? You know, he used to be a student, right? Yeah, that's why he knows how to inflict maximum pain on us. I thought all the Nazis were hiding in Argentina. Stifle it, Tully. You just earned yourself a detention, sir. Being here with you is already one big detention. Son of a bitch, that's another detention. Do you think I want to be babysitting you? No, I was praying your mother would pick up the phone or your father would arrive in a helicopter or a flying saucer. My father's dead. You don't tell a boy that's been left behind at Christmas that nobody wants him? What's wrong with you? There's nobody here, okay? You stay out of my way, and I'll stay out of yours. Let me sleep. Now, most of the kids dislike you, pretty much hate you. Teachers, too. You know that, right? I find the world a bitter and complicated place, and it seems to feel the same way about me. I think you and I have this in common. I don't think I've ever had a real family Christmas like this before. Thank you, Mary. You're welcome. History is not simply the study of the past. It is an explanation of the present. See, when you say it that way and throw in some pornography, it's a lot easier to understand. No matter what you I'd like to propose a toast to my two unlikely companions. Are you trying to lick down my shirt? No. Yes. You're going to get me fired. This is your Rubicon. Do not cross the Rubicon. The Holdovers. By the way, I just want to say that this is probably the best trailer of the year. What do you think, C? It is really, really up there. It is so, so good. Um, I will say 
the only trailer that maybe comes close for me, but let me be clear, this movie is being delayed, so technically it doesn't count. But the trailer for Challengers was very good too. But we'll get that get to that in twenty twenty five, or twenty twenty four. I mean, yeah. But uh, this is I, a great trailer. I I got so folks, if you're wondering why we're saying this is one of the best trailers of the year, put it this way: this trailer plays as if it was produced in the seventies. The voiceover recalls the voiceover you would see in trailers in the seventies at movie theaters in the seventies. Uh, the music choices, the way it has like a story arc to it. It is so meticulous in recreating a trailer from a 1970s theater viewing experience that for anyone who is a student or a lover of cinema, they would immediately catch on and see what what is the intention of this trailer. And it succeeds. It really mm-hmm. does. Um, and really and truly, uh, to, to the marketing department who cut this, I got to say, it there's a meta aspect to it where it's like, hey, Let's make a trailer for a movie. Let's make a trailer taking place in the seventies for a movie that takes place in the seventies shot as if it was shot in the seventies. And, you know, see, I think would agree that there are a lot of movies that are always like, let's shoot it. Let's shoot it. Like it would have been shot in the time period. The story takes place in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, see, I think you would agree that uh usually it, it's only like very it's only the 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 styles only skin deep mm-hmm. um it's not as meticulous they as you look through think. the highlight reel and just put on those things yeah pretty much it's like oh let's just add like a 16 millimeter grain on it uh and uh let's just do like every once in a while like a very weird uh zoom and there we we made a movie look like a particular time period mm-hmm. or, or like it was shot in a particular time period yeah uh the holdovers is not that. Well, what I like that you said that I have to bring up is you specifically said it doesn't look like it's from the 70s. It looks like a movie made in the 70s. And exactly. that's what's really incredible about it is because, yes, there are movies that really spot on look like it's taking place in the 70s that really get it right in a crazy way. But this looks like it was shot in that era because it's treating the 70s like present day, which is really, really hard to do. Like, that is hard to do. You can make it look like you're looking into a window of something, which is very difficult to do as well, and that is wonderful. And then the layer above that is just dressing everything in a certain way. Oh, well. But this is making it look like the actors are dressed how they normally (coughs) would dress, and on top of that, filming it exactly to a T the way the way they would have done it back then. It is fucking insane. And you might folks you might be saying like, "Oh, so aesthetically it's the aesthetically it's pretty remarkable. What about the soul of the film, the story, the characters? How about oh, that?" What a soul. Folks, <laughs> you know, we've said this story many, many times. Uh C and I uh, Christmas 2019. Oh fuck! Don't <laughs> fucking do. All right, we say, were go we were, on. Say it. We were we were we we were like, let's watch a Christmas movie. Sure, it was, it was let's December. find one. And uh, <laughs> we had heard that Netflix's uh, Klaus was, you know, it was the it was the new thing on Netflix, and people were mm-hmm. saying that it was a lot of fun. And we proceeded to watch it, and we proceeded to realize, like, not even halfway through the movie, a quarter through the film. <laughs> we, we, I paused it and I turned to it and I, I go like, see, is is this like the 
best animated movie of, and of do you know the what, year. And you guys, you know what I said? I said, yes, keep watching. <laughs> so I said, yes, and, keep and watching. Then, and then I stopped at the guy and says, is this like one of the best Christmas movies ever made? <laughs> and um, then at the end, it was, Al, are you crying? <laughs> and I was like, no, see, you're crying. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> and you know, folks, that was a that was a very unique mm. experience because we weren't it expecting was. it, right? Not at all. <laughs> here's the here's the thing about the holdovers. By far, no, and I know Alexander Payne has talked about this publicly that he's not really happy about this. Oh, boo-hoo. but far and away, the holdovers is the best Christmas movie of 2023. Oh, by a at, lot. By a lot, like like. In in a previous episode, I talked about Candy Cane Lane. I was about to ask. I was like, fuck oh, that, dude, fuck it, that. It beat Candy Cane Lane. <laughs> not only that, not only that. This is probably going to be one of the. I see this movie becoming um, kind of that like Christmas movie that parents show like their older children. Yeah, you know where they're like, hey, I know you guys don't want to watch Christmas Story. It replaced Homo- Bad Santa. Well, Bad Santa, no, no. In, the, in, the, in the sense that Bad Santa was the adult Christmas movie, yeah. but now you have something more refined. You have Not only more refined, you have something more sincere. Well, not yeah. that Bad Santa isn't sincere, but you have something more, so, something that, that's just more heartwarming. Let's put it that way. Oh. Uh, the, the, the Holdovers is going to be that Christmas movie that a dad's going to tell his son, listen, uh... You want to know, you you want like a new movie that really captures the spirit of the movies I saw when I was your age? Let me show you The Holdovers. And yeah. not only that, The Holdovers really is probably one of the best films of the year. Um, Alexander Payne, uh, writer David Hemmingson, who up until this was basically a TV writer. That's he, insane. See, you you want to know what, what, his, uh, what his early credits are? What? He worked on the, not the movie, the TV show cartoon of Disney's Hercules. <laughs> what the fuck? He worked on, he worked on a, on a Disney show, uh, a Disney, not a Disney channel show, but a, a Disney cartoon that came out on one Saturday morning called Pepper Ann, which was actually a really good show. So, uh, okay. he started off just doing like animated kids TV shows, worked his way into doing stuff like, I believe, I believe he did 30 Rock or The Office. Okay. Uh, uh, he 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 actually show ran a, a, a comedic uh, spy show called Whiskey Cavalier that did not do very well. So this is like his first feature. And listen, good to know he's going to get an Oscar nomination. For he's going to get an Oscar nomination. And that just shows you that before he got an Emmy nomination, he was a TV <laughs> writer. <laughs> um, th- th- this this is a shining example of Alexander Payne's like unparalleled ability as a actor's director he he refines these performances to just the right pitch there are three main performances in this movie and he refines it to just the right pitch that every scene felt like a perfectly conducted musical piece um every scene felt like so like painstakingly and carefully recreated as like Alexander Payne basically was like, I'm going to, I'm going to have this, the spirit of Hal Ashby possess me and I'm going to shoot this as it would have been shot in the coming of age movies of my youth Mm -hmm. with a, with a, with a bit of a twist. And 
it works so well because you come to love this trio so much and you believe them you know that you believe their humanity it's 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 incredible and like i know it's been said before it's been said in sideways it's been said in john adams it's been said in american splendor paul giamani arguably is in that class of the best actors of his generation oh easily this the 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 he plays the lead role of 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 Paul Hutnam, uh, a mm-hmm. teacher at this elite boys boarding school where these young men, when they graduate, they're going to go to Ivy League schools. They're going to become CEOs, senators, presidents, governors. They're going to become powerful men. And he they're just waiting for uh, the uh, the uh, what do you call it the, uh, the the trust fund to kick in, basically. <laughs> exactly. And Paul Giamatti plays this this like. A lesser actor would have played Hutnam as this bitter guy who, this bitter teacher who hates kids, who thinks they're all stupid, and only cares about like his the subject matter that he teaches, which is uh, which is ancient civilizations, right? Mm-hmm. No, Paul Giamatti adds a pathos. Paul Giamatti adds like a, a, a weariness to the character, a, a a a sense of humor, a sense of justice that oh my god it was it was one of those things where i was like this character is so realized like like it it got to the point that like you know there's a point in the film where he's thinking about writing it's not a book it's like a what's it called a monograph or something Mm -hmm. Um, oh right it's not a book it's it's like smaller than a book yeah and immediately because i i felt like i knew him so well i was like oh i know exactly how this is gonna play out um Listen, um, in an earlier review, I, I in, in our review of Oppenheimer, I'm pretty sure I raved about Killian Murphy's performance as Robert J. Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I still stand by that. And I'm just going to say, Killian, if anyone's going to take your Oscar, it's going to be Mr. Giamatti. Well, there are three <clears throat> roles that are, I think, the top spot in that. Is it okay if, if I mention that, if my sure, opinion on sure, that? Sure, sure. So... For lead, it's between three. <clears throat> and admittedly, I think there's... Okay, it's between three. Killian Murphy, Paul Giamatti, and uh, Jeffrey Wright. Those are the three top contenders. Yeah. yeah. And man, oh man, for all three, if either one of them wins, I would be so happy. Yeah. Let me be clear. That's how good all three are. But... <clears throat> <clears throat> What Paul Giamatti does in this, he, it's like he took, he took a stereotype of what people imagine his roles to be sometimes, but gave it such incredible detail, life, and breath that you couldn't help but wonder. It's the role that everyone's assumed he's always done until you realize he hadn't. That's what it, because the difference was... One sec. <clears throat> a lot of Paul Giamatti's roles are self-loathing. This one's outwardly loathing, and it's amazing. It's yeah. But he, when you realize the love he has for what he cares about is so genuine and real and honest, that's how you fall in love with this character. That's what's insane. But only Paul Giamatti could have brought that out in this character. 
It's, as you said, a weaker actor would have just made him this curmudgeon, Scrooge McDuck type teacher who just suddenly gets a heart of gold at the very end. But what this does is he, he still is who he is. You just realize that who he is isn't that bad of a person at the yeah. end of the day. And yeah. that is so much more powerful than like a, you know, a, a turning a Grinch happy. Like exactly. that's so much better. Now, I have to say, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record. I, I will say this. Alexander Payne has an uncanny ability of finding young stars. An uncanny ability. And nobody realizes it, too. Like, that's something not a lot of people talk about. Yeah, that, like, that, that he finds these young people that end up having pretty, like, pretty, pretty deep careers in Hollywood. I mean... Uh, Reese Witherspoon is still is still like uh, drawing seats to butts. Think about it: Laura Dern, Reese Witherspoon, um, Paul Giamatti. At this point, yeah. Um, well, I'm just talking about like the young actors in this movie. Oh, the young actors. Shailene Woodley, for a long stretch of time, had had a was like kind of like a leading starlet for a, a stretch of time. You know? Yeah, it, it absolutely. She now she does more. She does uh, lower key things, but I mean, she's still a name and she still yeah. has fans. Hong yeah. Chow, I mean, again, nominated for an Oscar last year. Yeah. His worst movie, and he discovers Hong Chow, who is a, at this point, is, is without a doubt an established name. Yes. He has discovered one of the most exciting young actors I've seen in a while. And this is his first fucking movie. I know, that's crazy. Dominic Sessa is a revelation he plays because again this is a this is a uh coming of age movie so we got to have a kid who's coming of age he plays the co-lead of angus tully a very uh, a kid who outside is very angry very like confrontational very full of himself but it that hard shell just hides a soft center of vulnerability fear and loneliness and and depression and I was – here's the thing. I was watching this movie, and the first thing that went out of my mind is like, holy shit, this guy looks like an 18-year-old uh, Elliot Gold. For those that don't know, Elliot Gold was a – is an actor. Uh, he most – people, most people who listen to this would be like, who is he? Uh, he was in uh, the Oceans movies as like the cool old guy. Uh, a lot of people would probably know him as the the – boyfriend of the mom in American History X or as Ron Stoppable's dad in Kim Possible. Mm. But in the 70s, he was he was straight up uh, 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 like uh, kind of a heartthrob oh, <laughs> with his with his like big glasses and stuff. He, he was in a Robert Altman movie whose name the name escapes me, where he was like the private detective that women would swoon over. Right. And Dominic Sessa looks like a 20 year old version of Elliot Gold. I was like, and and I was like, oh my god! Like they really are going all out with the '70s thing. This guy looks <laughs> this like now. I'm wondering like, did Elliot Gold have like affairs deep into his '60s? What what's going on? Mm-hmm. But it's not but, just the looks. Yeah, it's his, no, it's not. Yeah, it, go on, go on, go on. His performance is multifaceted and a revelation. For the first half, for for the first half. He's this like smart ass kid who's so funny. He's so funny. He is a gifted comedic actor. 
there's a scene in the trailer about crossing the Rubicon. And when he crosses the Rubicon, what proceeds is one of the funniest things I've seen all year. I laughed so hard I was coughing. And that is in part due to Dominic Cessna's performance and, uh, and the reactions of Paul Giamatti to said performance. And then, like a little bit uh, through the halfway point, he begins to reveal the more dramatic side of, of the character of Angus Tully, the, 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 the tribulation he's going through. And it's so sincere, so real. You know, there's a scene where he's confronted with something that he's wanted to confront for a while, and it just goes the way of the dodo. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he grieves. And I was grieving with him because I really believed it. I really believed it. I, I was like entrenched with like what this kid was going through. And at the very end, I was like, I want this kid to succeed. He deserves to succeed. Uh, like, and it makes what Paul Giamatti's character at the end, what he does, which I won't say. It's beautiful. Even more um, revelatory. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. And now, then it I, punctuated with one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Yes, that too. But I need to take a moment and bring up um, what divine is Divine Joy? Yes, Divine Joy Randolph. What the fuck? My God. That, so she actually, her, the, her performance kind of represents the entire tone of the movie in the sense that she manages to simultaneously say some of the funniest and most gut and then do some of the most gut-wrenching fucking things within the span of a single scene which jesus and again the movie helps this along incredibly but oh my god there are two scenes she does that one is the funniest fucking thing ever, but in the subtlest, smallest way. And then the other, just, you would be heartless if it didn't fucking wreck you. Yeah. And that's and what's fucked is you already early on know her tragedy, like her, because that's the thing. The three main characters, there is some level of tragedy in each of them, and you're trying to figure out what it is. And it's not that... What's amazing about it is you learn what it is pretty quickly, but the tragedy, it's never that simple. They become more complex with the movie. Oh, yeah. And what you realize is while her tragedy is not, though intense and horrible, is not entirely complex, but what you realize is complex is the way her character, which the character's name is uh, Mary. um, Mary Lamb. The way she's dealing with it and trying to handle it is complex and is difficult. And it gives, this movie decides, you know what, instead of just making her this, again, by a lesser actress or a lesser script, where what it would do would just make her this grieving character who is dealing with a loss. Instead, what it does is it's it's dealing with after the loss, how do you decide to bring yourself about into the world again and how hard that fucking is. Yeah. Like, and like that's, said, what's incredible about that with a lesser actress, they would have just like, there would have been certain scenes where they would have just been chewing it, just chewing it and going super, um, extroverted with it. Mm-hmm. What a D- divine joy Randolph does 
is in scenes where you're like, okay, this is going to be like, this is going to be the scene where she's going to go all out. She lets some out, but she's, she's trying to contain it in. And it's just because, which is what, which is what human beings do. Exactly. That's what's incredible about it. Very few. We have very few moments in our lives where we let it all out. Like in the movies, it, it can happen. I'm not saying it doesn't, but what most people do is you have a moment where you genuinely let it all out. And then you have that moment of, Oh my God, people are watching. That's what it is. Exactly. And she does that in a certain scene and you it makes you want to go, no, let, let it out. Not because you want to see her cry, but you want her to have that release and she takes it away from herself. And it's so intense. Exactly. Um, what, what, what else can I say except that Alexander Payne has created one of my favorite movies of the year and a movie that like it, like it's released and it's, you know, people saw it. It made some money, right? It made some money. But now it's kind of have this second life because people are are watching it on streaming and everyone like like I love I absolutely adore that uh it came on prime like came on like uh video on demand like in mid December I think which was perfect and they then they were like well we're going to release it on Peacock after Christmas uh, and people were like, why is Universal doing that? Why is Focus Features doing that? That makes no sense. Like, they should release it before Christmas because it's it's one of the best Christmas movies of the year. It's the best Christmas movie of the year. <laughs> and then you just realize people wanted to see the movie so badly that they were willing to drop the 20 bucks for VOD. No, and so I'm like, was that oh, really it? Yeah, yeah. Universal was like, we want the money, folks. What are you talking about? But here's the thing. People, people were so into the movie they had no problem paying that 20 bucks and now the holdovers is talked about on every inch of social media yeah and and, you know sometimes you know uh c and i we reviewed a movie last year the menu right Mm -hmm. and when we reviewed it the menu didn't really have an impact on i mean it made its money in theaters but it, it, it it was not in the zeitgeist no and then like what was it see like a month later there yeah. were memes. There were TikToks. Tons were... of short YouTube video shorts and TikToks just overanalyzing certain scenes of it. And I remember I reached out to Al and we're like, I was like, did this become a thing? And you're like, yeah, you don't know? Because I'm not on the social media as much. He's like, and Al had to explain to me. He's like, no, all of a sudden it was kind of just dropped on streaming and became huge. Very simply. Yeah, and pretty much the same thing happened with Holdovers this year. And yeah. I would say that no other movie deserves it because the one thing that, like, is – I mean, this is going to help uh, Paul Giamatti's race to the Oscar yeah. is that Paul Giamatti <laughs> – like, anything he does now is going viral. And yeah. Dominic says that wears a suit, and he's gone viral for three days. Really? You know? Yeah, Divine Joy Randolph says that, like, you know, I did the holdovers and I did the holdovers because I really loved the script. And, you know, I was expecting, uh, I was expecting, you know, to get, like, you know, these roles because the holdovers is a small scale movie. I, I was expecting to keep getting these, like, you know, small role, like, good quality television and movie roles. And now, because of the virality of the holdovers, she's like, now people want me in blockbusters and superhero movies. It's crazy. My agent is just so surprised. Yeah. And I'm like, it couldn't happen to a better movie because mm-hmm. it, I'm going to get on the soapbox. I, I, I've been doing that recently. Get on I, I, I need to, to get over myself, but I need to get on the soapbox. 
there are so many problems with Hollywood right now. The biggest being that what Hollywood decides to throw out there in theaters or many times even on streaming on their streaming services mm-hmm. <sighs> folks it, it, it it's garbage at best at best it's forgettable or cheap calories mm-hmm. at the worst you're thinking to yourself like this is a waste of time mm-hmm. uh, for many reasons I won't get into I was kind of stuck watching what was being streamed for a good chunk of the year and everything I watched, I was like, I mean, you can you can watch or you can listen to our recap uh, episode about the stuff I saw. Yeah, I, I so if you listen to that episode, folks, which go on Spotify.com right now and listen to our episode where we street talk about all those movies, you you sound kind of unconsciously more miserable than me because you were stuck watching streaming and I at least got to go to the theaters and see certain things. And so, but the, the, yeah. but the thing that the thing was was that like even in the theaters, the stuff they put out there is just loud, CGI laden, pretty images, uh, pretty images, uh, fireworks display that has absolutely no merits, has absolutely nothing compelling to no compelling story. It's it's drivel. At, at worst, it's drivel. I mean, people. When the normies are saying like, man, even the Marvel stuff is bad. Yeah. You know Hollywood is having problems. Yeah. You know. And and before before the like right in the middle of fall, like this was like I remember telling C like I was like, you know, it's kinda sucks that like the only thing that like was moderately interesting to me was Gran Turismo and Blue Beetle, and that's literally because Blue Beetle I had a bias towards and Gran Turismo at the very least tried to have like practical racing. Yeah. Um, and even then like Gran Turismo was not anything special. And I was like, that's depressing that this is kind of what Hollywood has become, or this is what Hollywood is thinking that Americans or moviegoers want to watch. You know what it is? So you and I watched this movie called the player. Great movie for the record. Amazing. By Robert Altman. Yes. By the Robert Altman. And there's this one scene where there, it's a meeting with these with these producers, and he ta- this producer takes a newspaper, and says we should be able to make a movie out of every single headline in this paper, and it was just a comment on how shitty the industry was getting. And the player came out. When did the player come out? In the ninety five. Ninety five. And that movie was already talking about how shit. Because half the movie is about how shitty Hollywood is. Basically, there's another element to it, too, that I don't want to talk about, but that's half of what this movie is. So the fact that like that has become so much more true now is so fucked up. But instead of, oh, this is let's take on the back of what's a on a magazine or a newspaper. It's what's on the back of a fucking uh, cereal box at times. Like yeah. fuck, it's just color. It's just colors. Exactly, exactly. And and it was depressing. It really was. Uh because like even even as late as the mid 2000s at the very least, at the very least, if the big stuff wasn't catching your eye, you at least know that there were some stars being like, "All right, let's make something mid-scale, small-scale, uh something to just 
to, to just focus on the story, no big visual effects. And, and, you know, hopefully, hopefully we can, we can hold over until the next big thing comes out. Right. It was <laughs> oh, like, Oh, this big budget movie didn't work. All right. Let's make some, let's have like a couple small stuff at, listen, there are no rom-coms like, I mean, there's one right now, but when I was having this crisis, there were no rom-coms. Like there was really only one comedy out, which was like um, um, the the Jennifer Lawrence one. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, uh, no hard feelings. No hard feelings, and that was pretty much it. There was there was no like mid budget small size movies in theaters, where you could go watch and just kind of like decompress from the 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 big scale drivel that was out there. Yeah. And the holdovers comes out, and I'm like, oh my god, there's some hope yet. Obviously, Alexander Payne. You know, they didn't take us out to her card. Uh, the, the the producers believed in the script that David Hemmingson wrote. Mm-hmm. And Paul Giamatti, like, Paul Giamatti maybe will never be a, a, a box office draw. Mm-hmm. But if he's on, people are like, you know what? I, I like it when Paul Giamatti is on. Let me let me let me well, watch that. I have to I have to add one thing Hollywood, I think, needs to start doing. And they finally are. A little bit, but I don't think they're going to learn their lesson for a couple of years, which is sad because in the reality is things have already been filmed and they got to release them and COVID, the writer strike, the actor strike, it's just causing delays. So I think for the next year and a half to two years, we're still going to see this problem. But what I think they're finally starting to do is, and I actually, it was, ironically, we mentioned him earlier, Matt, there's an interview Matt Damon gave where he talked about how you could get away with doing these other kinds of movies that had a slightly heftier budget, but were more either more specific to a certain genre or were doing a certain thing. Reason being, the movie would come out and it would maybe make, you know, 50% to three quarters of its money in box office or maybe just barely make its money. But what would happen is in the VHS sales and later DVD sales and everything else like that, it would make a good chunk of change. Like it really would. And that would kind of like allow at least the director, maybe not to make the biggest thing in the world, but he could go on making that kind of movie that happened a few times um, where you just sort of got that over and over again. And that's sort of what kept this sort of second tier level of stuff in Hollywood made where a lot of it was high quality. It just, you know, the budget was mid range and that's great. And you, but you got such a great variety of it. Mm-hmm. Then streaming comes out, and it's like Hollywood apparently just didn't know what the fuck to do with streaming. Yeah, they just they just panicked and made everything huge, but and safe, which fucked them. That, the 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 thing is, is that sh- streaming allowed for them to be like. Here was the thing: everyone expected like, okay, the big like even Hollywood said the big stuff's gonna be on the theaters, and streaming's gonna have the small scale in the mid budget, and then because of the pandemic. They were like, okay, actually, we're just going to put a bunch of stuff on streaming because nobody wants to go to the theater anymore. Also, because we just need to make so much of it, we're not going to QC. We're not going to QC anything. No. So like, because really, since the pandemic, like I, I always there was always this thing like, okay, you might get a 50 50 like, oh, this is pretty good. Like like with Klaus or you'd be like, oh, this is kind of not that great. Like with uh <coughs> Like with um um I'm, Candy I'm trying, Cane Lane, yeah, with like Candy Cane Lane. Well, it's not that great, um, or, or actually most of the stuff that Amazon does direct. But anyway, uh, then it was like, well, no, now we just need to put everything on streaming and no quality. And oh, by the way, 
uh, now we want big movies on streaming. So now small movies can't be on streaming because remember we had that talk where we were like, well, at least you can get romantic comedies on streaming. And now it's like, well, no, we want The Gray Man and we and want the Tomorrow War, the Tomorrow War. And we want uh, 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 under or six underground. Yeah. And you're like, well, th- what the fuck? Yeah, this right? is. Def- Why am I watching this on my living room? Like, yeah, wait a minute. yeah, and you're like, okay, so where's the small stuff now? Well, it's not going to be at theaters, and the small stuff that's on streaming is not very good. But what and- I'm noticing is finally with streaming, and actually the holdovers and the menu are a good example of this, where they're getting these but they're getting this buzz, and Hollywood's finally starting to realize. Oh, that can be the new representation of potential DVD sales. It can still work. Yeah, but they're really fucking late to it. That's what's really that, that, yeah. Up. It's it, it's this thing of like, okay, let's have it in theaters, and then let's let's have it on streaming. But first of all, let's make sure it's good. Yeah. Let's make sure it's good. Let's make sure that if we're gonna do a rom com, it's not just Jennifer Lopez and uh, uh, what's his face, uh, the guy who looks like Timothy Ol- Oliphant. Um, oh yeah. Um, or the, 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 the soldier quality, from Transformers, right? Yes. If if this movie has taught us anything, quality will always find a way. Because Hollywood loves to point out, oh, that one time we spent a bunch of money on this movie and it didn't do well. Okay. <coughs> yes, the filmmaking industry is a gamble without a doubt. But the goal at the end of the day is, do we ju- do we make more hits than we do? Not hits. Can we make it work? Our goal shouldn't be to do this fast and loose. Oh, let's make one ginormous jumbotron movie to make all our money for the fucking year, and let's try to replicate that every time. Like that's insane. That's just bad capitalism at that point. Jesus. Sorry, I'm you're I'm I'm gonna go. I'm going off here because it no, really but, upsets but, me. All right, all right. So how about we wrap up with our yeah. with our rating? So with you go first, Steve. Yes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I need a minute. Um, this this is a celluloid fox, and I mean that because in the seventies, before digital, they shot stuff on celluloid, and this movie fucks, and I love it. It's in my top ten, which we'll get to the top ten episode. Won't say where it is, but it's. It's truly fantastic. It's got the writing. It's got the directing. It's got the acting. It hits the trifecta. And yeah, it's a celluloid fox. This is a fishy smelling fox for me. I loved this film. I went in. I sat down. The moment the, because the, here, here, here's how detailed they went. Focus features came out in the the early or the mid two thousands. They the filmmakers took their time to create a a fake seventies logo for Focus features. You know that 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 looked so real. Where I was like, did Focus features exist since the seventies? And then I found <laughs> out that that they were like, no, let's no, we just made one up, but it it looks so real. But the thing was. Where I was just so blown away, and I know we didn't talk a lot about it, but the, the technical aspect of this film, the fact that it, for folks, pick a movie, pick a movie from uh, the seventies, Harold and Maude, or 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 Easy Rider, or or what have you, or Love Story, right? Mm-hmm. Love Story, watch it. I think actually Love Story would probably be the closest because that takes place in the winter as well. Mm-hmm. Watch it 
and then watch this and you're going to be like was this the same dp was this the same camera op was this the same like was 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 this the was this the same reel of film mm-hmm. was this them film stock it's so exact so painstakingly exact i was just blown away i was like this movie is a technical marvel that it's able to recreate it so perfectly along with the filmmaking techniques that w- it, that was used in the 70s such as the as the hard zoom mm-hmm. But then you then immediately that, that's like the first three minutes. And then you're just like, the, this is some of the best performances I've seen in a movie theater in a long, long time. Paul Giamatti. Like people need to put they've put respect on his name, but they definitely need to remember like, oh, yeah, this guy really is one of the best actors of his generation. Mm-hmm. Dominic Sessa, he's going to be a star. He Timothy Chalamet and Tom Holland are gonna be like, oh fuck! God damn it! There's another one. There's it's another like, one. There's fuck. And he has a bad boy edge to him. Damn it! And he and, and he's Divine, actually he picks good movies. Well, t- Timothy Timothy Chalamet doesn't have to worry about that. He seems to pick good movies, but it's like sh- he just showed this guy showed the fuck up basically. Yeah, yeah. I bet you Timothy and Tom had a meeting where they're like. All right, this Dominic guy, we got to get rid of him. Well, t- uh, Timothy's like, I had to fuck Army Hammer. Wait a minute. What? what, what, what we, why? Why Tom did I do that? Tom Holland goes like, I had to get my ass fucked in a TV show. You at least only had to do it for two hours. But, but uh, never mind. I was going to say something gross. I'm not going to. Um, um, but, but listen, Dominic says a, is a revelation. He's going to have a very good career. Yes. If, his, if, his, if his agent is smart Devine joy randolph um is she a lock for best supporting actress i feel like she is um she w- for a nomination or for a win, win. oh she's a she's the nom she's it's she, her it's her and is it her and uh emily blunt from oppenheimer yeah they're the top two ones yeah they're okay. the top two I'm trying to think i thought there was another who everyone's talking about but can't think of it right now. That she, shows like a, she's a lock. And uh, listen, she's she she has a TV show. She's in uh, Only Murders in the Building. Uh, she oh, plays the cop right. in that. Uh, she but, plays a notable role in Dolomite too. Yeah. Oh yeah. In in Dolomite. Uh, but she will be definitely be getting calls to be in like big franchises. I, I beg of her, please don't go to Marvel right away. Give it a minute. Like I, please. I, I guarantee you. you, James Gunn was like. Viola, if you don't want to do Amanda Waller, that's totally fine. I, I don't mind. I won't be mad. I won't be mad. <laughs> and then it cuts to, actually, please don't do it. I, you don't really don't have, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't, don't, do, don't, it, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. No, the, <laughs> folks, the holdovers is on, the holdovers is going to be, is on Peacock. So Go funny. give it a watch. Go it's give amazing. it a watch. It's, it's amazing. You're, you you won't regret it. And it's going to be that movie where every December, for for because I w- this movie's rated R, but I think like fourteen, fifteen and up, this is totally okay. This is fine, thirteen and up. This is here. Here's my reasoning for it's why it's thirteen and up. PG thirteen rating no longer applies to thirteen year olds of today. There is shit they know about that is scary. It, but, listen, yeah. if you're fine with your kid hearing like there, this isn't like an f bomb laden like movie. Like there are f bombs, but it's not that bad. I would actually say this is probably one of the best. <sighs> first r-rated movies to show your your oh teenager. yeah yeah that's what this is because it is r yes but it's kind of like 
you can show them this and it introduces them to the slightly bigger things, but it's by no means even a stretch of the imagination overt. It takes concepts that teenagers around that age are already familiar with mm-hmm. and brings it out in a setting where that's not the focus. Mm-hmm. And that's what's healthy. That's a healthy way to bring yeah, it out. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Best Christmas movie of 2023, no matter what Alexander Payne says. Uh, this has um, been What Do You Think? I'm Al. And do not cross the Rubicon. (laughs) Good night, everybody. I crossed the Rubicon, folks.